Max RPG Podcast. I'm in Max, 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 Pursuing the RPG hobby with reckless abandon. Why, hello. I asked you guys if you had your mic on. Yeah, he didn't have his on. It's all good now. Hello, and welcome to season 20, episode 15 of Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. My name is Stu. I'm Stork. I'm Scott. And Scott Woodard has joined us again. I heard there's something that's been going on in the past week. Yes! We have a Kickstarter going on right now. For Excellent. those of you who are following along at home, the Flash Gordon role-playing game, a.k.a. the Savage World of Flash Gordon, is now on Kickstarter. Just search for Flash Gordon RPG, you'll find it. Uh, from Pinnacle Entertainment Group, we launched on Tuesday. I'll keep it short and sweet, don't worry. Oh, no, no, no! <laughs> no I'm, making sure, I'm making sure I have the right mic system. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, we launched on Tuesday at uh, noon uh, Eastern. We wanted fifteen grand as our primary goal, and we made it in the first hour. <laughs> Uh, and last I checked, because I really do want to keep track of this during the show, um, we are now currently at 53,733. So we're doing pretty well. And our big news that we announced today was that Sam J. Jones, Flash Gordon himself from the 1980 movie, will be writing the foreword to our core rule book. So how cool is that? That's fantastic. He'll save every one of us. Very cool. And what 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 is what comes in the Kickstarter? So good far? lord, we have lots of awesome stretch goals, and I'm glad you asked. <laughs> um, we we have a 192 page core rulebook, uh-huh. a 192 page uh, source book called The Kingdoms of Mongo, which covers nine ten kingdoms in great detail with savage tales and all sorts of other goodies in there. Uh, we have a GM screen with a 32 page adventure called Journey to the Center of Mongo. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a custom set of dice custom playing cards, or action deck, as, as uh, it's the vernacular in Savage Worlds is. Right. Uh, we now have a range of metal miniatures. <coughs> oh, really? So we have, some, we have uh, heroes of, of Mongo and villains of Mongo. Mm-hmm. So it covers the main bases. So you'll, you'll get your Flash and your Dr. Zarkov and you'll get uh, Dale and Aura and Ming and uh, maybe someone else coming up soon with wings. <coughs> oh, awesome. And uh, what else have we got? We've got oh, all sorts of new stuff. We've got a new uh, mechanic called the cliffhanger that mm-hmm. we're really excited about. And we've got if you pledge at a certain level, you'll get this nice brass rocket ship token mm-hmm. and uh, that, that that you use for the new cliffhanger mechanic. And I'm trying to think what else. Oh, new bennies, custom set of bennies with all original artwork by Aaron Riley. Mm-hmm. Um, all sorts of goodies. So yeah, go check it out. You'll, everything's up on the site. We've got some more stretch goals and add-ons coming. So just keep pledging, keep uh, sharing, and it's gonna be cool, man. I may have to. I may have to invest in this because uh, I've been really wanting to run a Barbarella Savage World. It would totally. You could totally oh, yeah. make that yeah, work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that just showed up on Hulu, I think. Barbarella. It's one of their New movies on Hulu is Barbarella. Oh, how funny, yeah. And I don't know if I've ever watched. I think I did see it a long time ago. I've seen it on the big screen, a film print. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> yep. Jane Fonda was quite the looker. Yeah, today. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Back in the day, <laughs> and it's got Duran Duran in it. It does. Not, not what you think. No, no. there's a character named Duran, oh, okay. which Duran Duran <laughs> took their name from. Got it. So, okay. That, yeah. Well, that makes sense. Okay. And uh, and and a guy with wings. Do the in- I still have. I have more computer stuff. I have to. Oh, do you? Really fast. We want to do the intro the, in this episode. I'll try to be back before you're done. In this episode, GM topic: making scenes come alive. Eric from Kansas City asks: Is magic a GM crutch? Yoho, yoo hoo, yoho, yu yu j u h o 
from Finland. So I don't know. I know the J would be yeah. So Yoho, Yoho. Uh, from the Finlands writes in about players narrating after a contest resolution. Andrea88 sends us a gaming horror story. It's a spooky one. We love horror stories. Yes. We've learned more about gaming from the horror stories. Like, yeah, it's like, you know, you learn more about life from your mistakes. Right. You know, like a sock in the mouth can teach you a lot more about politeness. What do you mean, like a sock? Somebody telling you, a sock? No, somebody punching you, like right in the mouth, can teach you a lot more about being polite than somebody telling you, no, you gotta be polite. So, yeah. Learn from your mistakes. And then do the email thing. And then oh, do the, the email, email thing. thing. Do you want me to do the email thing? Oh, sure. Go for it. You can email us, or these guys anyway, at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. Social media accounts are Twitter, happyjacksrpg. That's, of course, at happyjacksrpg. And they're also on Instagram. Same thing, happyjacksrpg. And watch uh, watch these guys play live, happyjacks.org slash L-I-V-E. How are we doing? Uh, we'll <laughs> see. I had to reboot. I have. Oh wow! There's the sound. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. go through and reboot everything in a certain order. <laughs> it's alive. Oh. It's alive. Yeah. It's gonna. It's gonna work now. Oh good. Okay. I think. Is it not going out live? Is that? Is no, that it's going. No, no. The oh. streaming part has been working great. This is like me being able to see the chat room. Oh. The t- and other stuff. The Twitch. My chat room. So. Um, the Twitchers. I kind of wanted to talk about. No, we we starting a lot last week or week before last. Well, we missed last week. Remember, we were here last week. I think we were. Don't look at me. I don't think I was. You were here. I had to work. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, but uh, we we started our GMing topic series, and I'd like to talk this time about making scenes come alive, and like um, like the the setting, the location. Making giving that because you have your PCs and your NPCs and they're the key part to any scene, but then there's the locations and it's almost kind of like its own character or at least it can be I think. So I'd like to kind of talk about how you can make that set or that setting stand out, give it some depth, and make it have an impact on the scene if that's what you want to do. Would anyone like to start while I wait for the computer to reboot so I can get my notes? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think. That set pieces and, and areas are often um, not explored well enough. I think a lot of people just sort of say, you, "You're standing in a house. You're standing in a field. You're standing on a road." I, whenever I've been trying to GM recently, I've been trying to bring in all the senses. Like uh, when we did uh, Savage Worlds, they, they end up in the Fey Realm. I, I, uh, I was they, they they appear underneath the trick or tree. Which is has pumpkins on it, and you pull a pumpkin. Anyway, the point is, I was I went through and described what the trick or treat looked like, and I also described what they're smelling. It smells because it's a sort of autumnal. It's the fake court in autumn, so there's smell that smell of burning leaves, that loamy smell. You hear crows in the distance. There's sort of a wind going through the. You don't hear any cars. You don't hear anything. You hear wind going through the wheat, and all of that stuff sort of sets that mood and sets that scene. But I don't think a lot of people spend any time working on other than just the visual senses. Sometimes people just say you're standing in the street. And the players have to go. All right, well, what do I see? Oh, uh, it's uh, it's just a street. There's a building on the left. Well, okay, is it muddy? No. Well, maybe. You know, um, <laughs> it's the kind of thing that the GM should think about before they just say you're here. Right? Yeah, and I, I agree with you. And I don't think you necessarily have to be 
uh, a detailed writer. You, I think if you just put a little list on your screen, if you have one, that just <coughs> lists the five senses, mm-hmm. and, and it's just as a reminder, and you can always just fall back on that, if, you know, whether or not the boots are squ- you know, squishing into the mud, or like you said, you can have smells, you can have smoke and fog and all that kind of stuff that we normally really, a lot of people don't really think about. A lot of times it's just get the characters into the action and, right. you know, you're in a tavern. I, I think it's, I think you're, you're doing your players a disservice and yourself a disservice by not describing the other two, two senses? Three senses. Well, there's five. We, we well, do actually, they've been, they've been sort of revisiting that and there's like more than a dozen. Yeah. Because oh, no. there's, there's other, there's senses like knowing, and it's not touch, it's something else, but there's a sense like knowing if you're upright or at an angle because we can intrinsically do yeah. that uses your inner ear and there's other they ha- there's other ones too I, I, I don't remember where I, it was in the doctor's office there was a magazine sitting there and I'm reading through it and they've there's other senses we have that use all the same sensory organs but use them in different ways or in combinations to do other things besides just the five basics I think it, I think there could be a problem though if you go too detailed. Oh sure, oh, yeah. because inevitably you're going to say, oh, and you smell, you know, I don't know, you maybe describe some smell of a tobacco or something. Suddenly somebody's going to say, you know, the last time we smelled that tobacco, but really you've just tossed out that the, right. the smell of tobacco. <laughs> yeah, right. And so now they're looking around the room for some character. Right. Or he must be hiding in the building, and it's whoa, the smoking you man. man. It's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> suddenly it's a red herring search. <laughs> And they go shoot the bear, but within reason. Yeah, I yeah. think absolutely exploit all those all the senses. Uh, touch is a rare one, I think. Or no, not touch. Uh, taste. Taste. Right. Right. People usually don't go around licking trees. Well, <laughs> no. If you're in a if no. you're in a tavern, but if you're in the eating. tavern and you order the food, sometimes it's it's important because you always have that player. Oh, so what, what's on the menu today? Oh, you bastard! Ah, uh, it's. Uh, Doc, I actually came up with like a, or found a random generation chart just for that guy. <laughs> so when they say something, you could say, "Well, it's uh, duck all orange with rice and uh, some sort of soup." I, <laughs> I think that one of the editions of D and D actually used up real estate on a DM screen for something like that. No doubt. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm always like. Pfft. But then someone asks you, and you're like, "Oh, yeah, oh, yeah I, I could have been there if it was." Now there you right could now, have you things play up on other senses too. For example, you could say there's a t- terrible smell, and it's making you guys not nauseous. Right. So now that's actually elevated the the sensory mm-hmm. uh, experience. Absolutely. Yeah. I think hearing and smell are two real. I mean, obviously you can tell the players what they see. Right. Right. But hearing and smell are two that are often forgotten, mm-hmm. and I think can always add something. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It, like the the sound you're going to hear at a dock you know, with the boats like creaking yeah. up against the docks and things like that. Right there, you've, you've elevated the scene immensely. Right? Right. It's like instead of you're standing on a dock, suddenly you've, you've, you've elevated it. And now they're, now they're in it. Now they're invested. Right. I think it's, it's really important. And all it takes is a, is a couple more sentences to, to describe what they're smelling and hearing. And, and maybe even what they're feeling. Yeah, the, the what's the dock? Well, the dock's kind of spongy on you. It's not. It's not great. It's kind of an old dock, you know. And it's got. It's obviously got a lot of salt on it, so it sort of crunches and spongy. And you're like, okay, there, that's it's more info to bring them into the scene. Mm-hmm. And certainly for horror, you can really, really exploit those senses. Absolutely, especially hearing. Yeah. Um, it, and one of the th- things that I put down on my my notes for this was um, give the scene or elements within it character by showing its history. Mm-hmm. Um, I put a couple examples. A worn path on the floor of a pub where thousands have walked from the bar to the piss pot. 
Mm-hmm. Um, even just like the the door handle getting in, it's just old and well worn, so you can just battle scars on the castle walls, things like that. Um, or if like a, uh, I don't remember where I was. It was when I came back from Gen Con. I I, I went through a couple of airports because my flight home was by no means direct. But I went to one airport that was fairly new and one airport that was not. And the airport that was not had bathrooms like you would expect in an airport that was old. And the one that was new, or like the section of it had just been built, maybe you walk in, it's like this bathroom looks like no one's ever used it before, ever. ever. <laughs> and I'm going to live here. <laughs> right. There's no graffiti anywhere. Thank you, Dyson, for these incredible devices. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the the just the the little bits and pieces to show the history of something or the lack of history of something right. in, in that case i think can add a lot if if you can take time to come up almost like when you come up with personality quirks for an npc absolutely I, it's very similar it's like what what it make what is it about this tavern that makes it different from every other tavern what is it that makes it unique? and and if you're the gm you're spending a lot of time in this world in your head long drives or whatever it is you're coming up with stuff so it should be easy for you to just describe a bit more about the green dragon inn that's that's been that inn that you've been working on for all mm-hmm. this time it's really not that much it's not it's not more any more difficult than than not describing it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, and like, you were, uh, like I was just thinking, if you were to say the tables are worn, or, you know, that these are ancient tables they've been used for years and years and years. But if you also say there are hundreds of names carved into the wood. Oh yeah. And suddenly it's like, wow, this is really lived in. Mm-hmm. And people come here and they sit and they scratch their name into the table, and it's like it, now it feels lived in. Absolutely. Yeah. So. The smell of wood smoke clings to the wood. Oh, yes. Uh, the other thing I, I noted was to describe surroundings. And like windows, rather than just say there's a window, tell them what they see on the other side of it. You know, you right. see people, the stable boy is over there, and 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 the and the owner of the stable is berating him or, or about something. It doesn't have to be anything that's necessarily plot specific, but but there's, you know, the, this place does not exist in a void. There's other things around it that are going to impinge on the experience that happens within that too. And also, the other, uh, not to just just describe who's there, mm-hmm. but what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Are there people in the tavern? Are they just drinking, or are they eating, or are they gambling, arguing about politics, mm-hmm. playing some kind of game? Someone singing in the corner, right? Yeah. yeah. Especially oh. when they walk in, you're setting the scene. It's not railroady at all. You're setting the scene for them. So, I mean, uh, if you're reading a book recently, just look how they set up a scene as somebody walks into a room or walks into a bar or you know, first meets somebody. See, it's only a couple of paragraphs. If it's a good writer, they don't drag it on and on and on. You can easily copy that um, that format of just. What you see, what you hear, what you smell, and what they, and, and then, and then, leave it at that. Leave it for the players. But it's ostensibly just writing a little intro, and know. how the people in that environment react to the characters mm, as right. well. Right. So if if you walk into a room and no one looks up and everyone keeps going with what they're doing, that's fine. Or if you walk into a room and there are three guys in cloaks who are just staring at you, right? you might feel a little intimidated. So. Or even worse, the entire place goes quiet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a perception roll. That's like on Warhammer Night in the at the game store when the, before they moved when a, a girl would walk in. Yeah. <laughs> what just happened? I know you guys are doing something before I walk in here. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's open Warhammer Night, though. 
That's Kimi's famous story. It's, it's yeah. <laughs> she would walk into gaming stores. I'm going to paraphrase. She'd walk into the gaming store and it would just be quiet. She's like, "Okay, there's a lot of people in here, and I know you were doing something before I walked in. What the hell? They're all like, deer in headlights." I'm just going to go over here. See, the role playing game nights, that's not uh, unusual, yeah, but th- right. there's not a lot of. In fact, I was just listening to another podcast. We're talking about uh, a Warhammer podcast, and um, they're talking about why there aren't very many women interested in it. And the big thing they brought up was that there's not a lot of characters in Warhammer that women can identify with because there's very few female characters in Warhammer. I mean, there's like the, there's the battle. Maidens or whatever they're called, I can't remember the name of it. There's like one army that, that no one even has it in a store. You have to actually special order. So you can't even walk into a game store. That's and find like these. hugely a shame. Yeah, it, is. I mean, it really <laughs> is. It really is. There's, I think, there's untapped potential there. Right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just make female heads for space marines because obviously the armor is not going to change. Why not? These big, huge, monstrous. Mm-hmm. Have some female faces. It's so funny. Just I mean, speaking of that, it's a bit of a tangent. But like uh, a few weeks ago at Halloween. Few weeks ago, where am I? What? Yeah, wow, it really was. It's a time. Um, wow, was, we yeah. went through a, for- a time portal. Then um, I remember there was a one of those. You know, this this photo, this costume wins Halloween, and it was a young girl, maybe twelve years old, in a full Warhammer armored oh. suit. Oh, it no was kidding! Phenomenal. That's yeah. awesome. So that's fantastic. You never know. Uh, Sergito brought up an interesting point. He says. Uh, when setting the scene, I try not to be too descriptive. I don't want to describe the players out of ideas. Like in one game, I was the GM. I was in the GM started describing this apartment complex that previously was a school, and she took several minutes describing everything we saw. One player got upset because she was planning to do something, to do some stuff that you'd normally to use some stuff you'd normally see in a school, but she was described out of her inventiveness. Hmm, yeah, that's dangerous. Yeah, and, and I've noticed if it gets too long, the players start getting antsy. Mm-hmm. So I think you really need to to drill down on a couple of specific things if you're going to like show the room has character. Don't like say describe every table right. and all of the names. Pick a few things that right. really stand out. For example, if you walk into a, an old classroom, say the smell of chalk still hangs in the air, and suddenly they're like, okay, I remember what that smells like, and I, I know exactly what I'm entering here. Right, so. right. Or the little section in the back with all of the pillows and the bookshelves where the kids are do their reading. We had that. Mm-hmm. I had that in college. Third. Really? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the pillow room. I think if you over-describe anything, I mean, it gets, you also run the risk, as he said, or touched on earlier, is uh, giving away some stuff that might actually involve a, uh, a, a perception role, or even just you, you've given away the, the, the plot. Oops. Uh, yeah. Don't worry. I, I, I didn't mean to tell you about the guy that was hiding in the back. What I meant to say was... <laughs> that, so, just, that sound of the chainsaw yeah, coming from the other yeah, room. Yeah. Did I just describe the contents of a drawer no one, no one opened yet? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, I think there is a there's a balance because I I've noticed that even in our games when I start describing things and I'll go and sometimes a lot of times it's off the top of my head so it's a little ramblier than if I had written it down. But I will notice that people will start to kind of feign interest or just 
not bothered to do so. Well, <laughs> I know when you're describing, sometimes I'm I'm looking through my sheet for like my next move because right. and we're listening, but but don't you know? It's because people aren't wrapped to tell <laughs> and you're every hanging on your every doesn't mean people aren't paying attention. That's not what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that's all I that's all I have on the top. On the top. Anything, we don't have anything else on it, or should we go ahead and move on to the emails? I think we've described these rooms in too great a detail now. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the only other thing to do is, is describing the people as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But, I mean, we kind of talked about that a little bit last, last time. Reactions and such. Yeah. Right. And I think next week, the topic I came up with for next week is how to build, build a good villain. Mm-hmm. So that's next week. It's a good one. Building a good villain. Learn how to go. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, did you see uh, 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 um, Justice League? No. No. Oh, you haven't seen it yet? Okay. No. It's very I, good. I just worked 10 days straight. Okay. I mean, I had yesterday off. It was the first day off. So the only My only complaint, no, this is not spoilers, uh, is I was not really that, I didn't find the villain that interesting. Yeah, that's what everybody's been saying. Um, I, I, I thought it was a good film, but just the villain just didn't, I mean, he's there, and he's it's a bad guy, and he's CGI tough. villain. That's yeah. kind yeah. of a problem. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but, it's, but it's another it's another just ubiquitous CGI villain, you know. And that's what, I mean. That, at least with Guardians, they actually had a guy in a costume, right? You know, but it's just another cartoon character now, right? But and I mean, it's kind of surprising me because like Batman always has good villains. Mm-hmm. Every Batman story really kind of is about the villains because Batman himself is not that interesting of a guy, but the villains are always very colorful, and this was just like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's next week. I know enough about Jack Kirby's Fourth World to know that he's only one of many that can pop up. So, but it's not that. I don't know what any of that. I know. (laughs) I do though, and other people out there do. Because I don't know anything about comic books. I've I've read. I've probably read twenty comic books in my entire life. But that includes, you know, some important. You were on an X Men Jag for a while. That's because it was uh, what's his name? It's Warren Ellis's. Actually, oh yeah, because he's a fan of our band. That's right, a fan of our band. He, he he used to do a podcast and he would play songs by us. We'd do Google searches for the band, like who's this Warren Ellis? He's a, oh, he's a comic book he's writer. A drunk oh, he's Eng- in a lot of stuff. He's a drunken English curmudgeon, right? right. <clears throat> but that's why I read that because the and then the Joss Whedon ones. I read the Joss Whedon X Men too. That was really good. Uh, okay, uh, is GM is magic a GM crutch from Eric in Kansas City? Dear Douche and the Von Douchingtons, I'm working on a campaign for Pirates of the Spanish Main from Savage Worlds. I've noticed I'm having trouble coming up with a good play hook that doesn't play hook pirates. I guess there's a hook with it. Okay, sorry. Get the hook. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that doesn't involve at least some magic. My wife is a player in the game and does not enjoy fantasy or magic. She doesn't mind some, but definitely doesn't want it to be a world of magic and dragons. So my question, is magic a crutch for GMs to use for plots? This can also go for the super-duper advanced science. Without some form of magic or super science device that is threatening the world, the players are just running around looking for treasure, and that seems pointless after a short time. I'm watching The Spaniard's Ghost, and I'm really enjoying it, but but you're not far enough in yet for me to see how you're going to flesh out the campaign. Um... 
Oh, too bad Jib's not here. Uh, my plan is for the campaign, for the camp, for this campaign is to not really have any magic except for the main items of evil that I'm modeling after the Six Gun story. Uh, let me know your thoughts, and also if you have any ideas. I know I could use uh, a kidnapping or some something similar, but really that will only last so long and would get boring, at least to me. Um, if I got if I got drug out or was constantly being rehashed, if it got drug out or was constantly rehashed one way or another. Thank you for your advice. Love the show, Eric from Kansas City. P.S. Drink or not, I wouldn't want to take away your player agency. <laughs> P.P.S. Or whatever, I've got nothing. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting point because I was thinking about this as you're reading and I'm like, yeah, you know, I always have some sort of Somebody summoning an elder god, uh, some some Kirby character from the fourth world comes in and destroys the Amazons. There's always something there. I, I'm guilty of it. Yeah, I I I see what he's saying. I, well, I look at the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of supernatural stuff in that. But then there's also stuff that there's like the East India Trading Company, and suddenly there's some powerful force with the ability to. Uh, Finance a large number of ships to maintain order and keep peace. Mm-hmm. That's a great thing. I mean, Black Sails has no fantasy in it, right? Mm-hmm. And it held together pretty well. And there's plenty of action and intrigue, and it all comes down to people, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, I, I used to play Top Secret for mm-hmm. a long time, and you know, granted, we would have, I guess, super technology, yeah, but even stuff. so, it was a, a Top Secret that was very firmly rooted in reality. Mm-hmm. So we weren't going for James, too much James Bond stuff. It really was just intrigue and and spying. Right. And I think that one. I mean, that we played that for ages, mm-hmm. and I don't think I missed it. It's just because we just had our enemies and we had nemeses and right. Oh yeah. So I think you can still do it just fine. I mean, you can kind of take a page from Traveler because if you look, I mean, if the players are all playing the crew of a pirate ship. Mm-hmm. That's not an easy life, mm-hmm. and, and 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 Traveler can definitely be that sort of game, a la Firefly. Mm-hmm. It's like find a job and keep moving. Mm-hmm. You got to keep your ship afloat. Yeah. You got to pay into it. You got to, yeah, right. I was I was sitting here thinking. I mean, if you there's a precedent for this already. Uh, the, any Western from the 50s, 60s, maybe even into the 70s. There's no magic. There's no, no. hardly hardly any. I guess, and and you could actually just steal a lot of those plots, but whole cloth. I mean, the Magnificent Seven basically is a bunch of guys trying to help out the little guy. But there's kidnap, as you said, there's kidnappings and such, and that never really gets boring because it always leads to something else. Mm-hmm. But I think if you're stuck, I mean, just go steal the plot from Maverick. <laughs> I mean, Deadwood went on for years Deadwood and is did. coming back. Yep. Oh, is it really? Yes, it is. And and that's another one. It's just a straight Western. How is Deadwood coming yeah. back with the third season? They're going to do it. Wow. Dig new, deep. It's new that. people. Because basically, they, it's like, okay, the town is, we're going to pull up stakes because things are... Yeah, they're doing another one. Because was it Powers Booth that played the, the, like, the big bad guy in that? Was it Powers Booth? I'm not placing Anyway. Remember... McShay, Ian McShay. Well, yeah, McShane was in there, but yeah, yeah. that's that's Inglés, right, or whatever his name was. Yeah, Engine Son. That's what the didn't that movie I called it? I don't know. No, no, what was I haven't it? actually watched it. Oh. Never seen it. Oh no, 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 no. Revisit it. No, or, or visit it for the first. The time. Chinese guy with the pigs. No, he called him cocksucker. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> the 
real McCoy. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, like you said, all the, there's plenty of westerns out there that have that have great stories. I mean, oh, if yeah. you have strong villains, if you have a lot of intrigue, if you have, I mean, if you look at it too, if you think about say pirates, all of these rival factions just you know just for a moment think that those are aliens. Right. You know, and, you, and if you like, you said you compare it to something like Traveler or to a mm-hmm. science fiction story, they're still going to have their own methods of doing things that are alien sure. to you, right? Um, which I think can really be played up quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, Even something like The Godfather, because really pirates are just each one's like a gang, a gang. <laughs> each one's got their own crime little, bosses. Crime yeah. bosses, yeah. So if you were to like steal the plot of The Godfather, where there's this overarching crime boss who wants to take over all of the shipping and unite the pirates under one, you know, and I, or whatever it is, all of that stuff is really doable. You just have to think a little bit outside the box, right? Well, I mean, it, I don't know if you, is this a historic setting. Is this like? Does this take place place during the Age of Sail? I'm asking. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. He's using well, he's Spanish Maine. So yes, yeah. okay. Um, what era is that? Is that like eight, mid 1800s, early 1800s? No, it's the 17th century. So oh, so right. it's much earlier. I don't know as much about that. But there are wars going on. There, there. It's not. It's not just the Spanish, right? Right. We've got. I'm sure the English are in there too, and they have ships. You don't have a you don't have well, America yet. And they were playing games like uh, having privateers. You know, that would it would be, you'd have letters of mark mm-hmm. that gave you carte so blanche to do certain things to certain people. So I, I, my my first suggestion would be to, to v- develop your world more. Hmm. If you don't if you don't want to throw in something supernatural, figure out what the political factions would be at that period in time, and and there's there's. There's naval warfare going on mm-hmm. all the time. It's not just pirates running around stealing shit. That's right. There's other. There's you may have to avoid an armada, and that would be that would suck. Yeah. And like you, and you, you can use that to limit where the players are going. It's like, oh, you've heard that the armada the, might the, actually the, invade Tortuga the, where the, you're the, right. spending the night. That there's like nine nine ship uh, warships based there, and we can't. Oh shit, we can't go there any, anymore. At least not until they leave. And another thing you can do is because I mean, if, if they're doing a Pirates of the Spanish Main storyline, there's still stuff that there's still superstitions. Oh, yeah. there's still people who think there's magic, and you can present stuff that that comes across as being magical. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it can it can go the Scooby route. Absolutely, there's absolutely no reason why you can't still have magic mm-hmm. that isn't really magic. Right. Well, I I just last night I just watched um, Master and Commander. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. The uh, across the world or far, yeah, the Russell Crowe, right? Really. Uh, it's the only one yeah, movie, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Master Commander one, yeah. Well, and the book series is the ten books, huge. Yeah. O'Brien, yeah. yeah. But um, there's one of the one of the characters in there, one of the young uh, midshipmen or whatever they're called. Everyone gets it into their head that he's cursed. Yep, because everything's going wrong happens when he's on watch. They spot this ghost ship that was a, just a giant Spanish frigate. And the, the, they got they hit doldrums when he was on watch, and it's staying, and it doesn't let up until he kills himself. Spoilers. Yeah. But um, you could have a you could have a storyline like that. There's no actual curse, yeah. but everyone the, the crew, especially if the the party is like key parts of the crew, but usually they're not going to be the whole crew because a crew of a ship is going to be what at least eighteen or twenty, I would imagine, depending on the size of the ship. Yeah, exactly. So there's the rest of the crew. Then there's the Political dynamics within oh, yeah. the crew itself. Right. That's there's tons of storylines there. Sure, the mutinies, or you know, they've got it in their heads that 
so and so's character is a, is a even has a curse. Even Treasure Island, where there were factions. I mean, obviously Long John was playing both sides against the middle here, but he had people on on the boat that were on his side, and then other. And so, I mean, all of this stuff is is rife for stealing. And if you were to even copy some of Treasure Island, no one's going to notice because it's going to change enough in your story. You'd be surprised. I've I've taken a whole claw. I'm like, oh god, they're going to see right through this. It's, but they never notice. Right. Here's here's the here's a thought though. Um, when you brought up Traveler, it's something that occurred to me. Traveler gets really boring when you have ship-to-ship combat. Yes. And it gets really boring traveling from one place to another. Now, it, it looks exciting in Star Trek, or even Star Wars, where they're getting, you know, fighting and there's laser blasts and all that, but the reality of moving your ship around uh, is really boring. And I have a sinking feeling, no pun intended, that Spanish Man has the same problem. Because, again, pirate movies are wonderful, and people are swinging from and swinging on and doing the stuff, and that that might be fun <coughs> once or twice, but for the most part, it turns into a big slog. Well, in, and it can be really boring. In reality, ship-to-ship combat is two kinds of combat that are happening at the same time, especially if the ships get close. Right. Because you're going to have the cannon fire going back and forth. Right. But you've also got... At some point, we presume, if the fight goes to one side or the other, a boarding action. Yep. You've got you've got guys with muskets in the crow's nest sniping the guys on the other side of the on the in the other boat. I mean, that's one of the things I did with um, uh, Vast Dominions is the the ships have ship weapons, and there's a maneuver and stuff, but it's still two platforms for the combatants yeah. to sit there and, and have their combat between <coughs> each other. I guess my that's my point, which is you got to make sure that there's a human element to it. Absolutely, because a traveler it gets really boring unless you have a boarding party. But even then, it can turn into a slog. It's the the romanticism of a pirate sh- game is great, but the reality of it is, oh no, you know, you're moving your ship, and they're moving their ship, and you're moving their ship, and they're moving their ship, and the carrots fire, and then you take damage, and they're moving their ship, and then finally a boarding action happens. But it, you just got to be careful. I think. I think what I'm trying to say is that. You might want to spend more time on shore, <laughs> following up leads, and having character stuff, rather than spending a lot of time on the ship. Because, again, it's or, like, oh, another day passes, and you guys make or, rope. Or, or, or depending on, on, on the, the contentedness of the crew, you could have a whole adventure that just takes place on the ship, and you don't act, interact with anyone outside of the ship. Yeah, you could have you could have something like that. There's an assassin, but you could or or, or some yeah maybe uh, uh, what, do you, what do they call them uh, a, a saboteur mm-hmm. or a spy or something. Yeah, maybe maybe they go along and they notice that someone's turned out all the fresh water barrels. There you go. Now we have to go to a port. Why do we have to go to a port? Right. Where's the nearest port? And who did it? Is the person who did this want us to go to this port? And if so, why? why? Right. Right. I mean, you, you're you got lots of like you don't need magic. Yeah, nope. and 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 finally, I mean, it's the age of exploration. There, are the stuff that we know today in the real world right. is alien back then. It's I mean, going and in, in interacting with you know natives in in the Americas mm-hmm. or or Haitians or Africans or you know whatever. It was completely foreign to those characters. Absolutely, yeah. And that might as I mean, <coughs> there is cannibalism. You can always play with, have fun things with, to do with that. So oh, yeah. there's I mean, lots to do. A parrot, a talk- temples, and yeah, a parrot. absolutely. <laughs> a, a talking bird was more than a novelty. It was freaking magic, you know. This guy has this parrot, and it imitates voices. I mean, people are like, <laughs> they've never seen or heard that before. Nevermore. All right, that's a crow. That's, that's a raven, rather. That, that's I'm true. sorry. That's true. Technically. Uh, so thank you, Eric from Kansas City, for the email. We appreciate it. 
Uh, the next next email, uh, players narrating what happens after conflict resolu- resolution. Who would like to read this? Uh, well, I haven't read one. Okay, go. But I have no idea how to pronounce this uh, person's name. Yuho? That's what we guessed. Apologies if we get it wrong. We're going to say, players narrating what happens after a conflict resolution from Yuho in Finland. Hi, Happy Jackers. As the Swedes have now been so present in your show lately, here, have they been? Yes. Oh, wow. We got a lot of Swedes listening to the show. It is. I don't know if you've noticed, you're in the industry, but Sweden has, like, slowly been taking over the RPG industry. There's a bunch oh, of yeah. games coming from there. There's, they, It's dark there for a long period of time, so they have nothing better to do but game. It's awesome. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, anyway, um, here's an email from Finland for a change. There is debate in Finland... Uh, there is debate if Finland is part of Scandinavia, but we take a part of all the leading RPG countries, that's in quotes, mm-hmm. uh, glory that is headed towards, correct term, Nordic countries. I contend that Finland Nordic. isn't really Scandinavian. They're, in fact, their own, they're Laplanders. They're up there with the reindeer. They're really far north. They just get lumped in with Scandinavia for convenience sake. I mean, their language is what, what Tolkien based Elvish off of, because it's one of the proto-European languages. That, and I think, Hungarian. Wow. Like the, the, the only thing similar to Finnish is Hungarian, and that's you know separated by thousands of miles. But it's it's a very very ancient weird culture. But they're not really Scandinavian. Their their language bears no resemblance or very little resemblance to the Scandinavian languages. Okay, that's cool. I didn't know that. It, yeah, it's a. Finns are weird, man. It's weird. <laughs> no offense. We would like to apologize for what Stork just said to all of our Finnish listeners. I've only read the first paragraph. <laughs> anyway, moving on. But thanks for that, that yeah, insight. That's fascinating. Uh, after a long hiatus in role-playing, I have now activated in-gaming again. Because of life and family, it has been one-shots in conventions and online gaming. In my youth, my group's main game was RuneQuest that we used to uh, explore the world of Glorantha. And here's back. Here, explore meant heavy combat-oriented adventures. Yeah, we were all fifteen. Oh too. yes, yeah, we're we all ready, did that we're too. Explore this dungeon. <laughs> yep, yep. Dungeon crawls. Uh, this background led me a couple of a couple years back to Hero Quest, the system, not the board game, which is the Hero Quest is the greatest board game of all time. Uh, and I love the system. It takes all the crunchy stuff away and lets the GM and players concentrate on the story. As the system, for some reason, is still niche, I have found myself mostly GMing than playing it. Okay, there is other systems like this available. Um, that's, uh, uh, what is... P- powered by the Apocalypse. Ah, uh, yes, Powered by the Apocalypse. Fate, I think, but anyway. But this hit me um, not least with the default setting being Glorantha. After this free advertisement for Chaosium, I get to my ap- actual topic. Thank you, we're finally moving on. Uh, in HeroQuest, like others too, all the contests are resolved so that the outcome is success or defeat in varying levels. Complete, major, minor, marginal. These correspond with yes and, yes and, yes but idea. Now, when the re- keeping up on this? Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Uh, now, when the resolution of the contest is ready, the good old way is that the GM narrates what happens to the character, and the players listen in awe. Oh. As the GM, I really would like to hear what the player had in mind about the outcome and be entertained with the unexpected unexpected outcomes. As a player, I really would like to narrate my, narrate myself what happens to my character. Uh, narrativist. Especially in HeroQuest, for example, a combat can be resolved with a roll of two dice. This leaves lots of room for interpretation and narration. So what is your take on this? Have you let players narrate outcomes of contests, and how did that go? Did you lose the control of the story with this? Do's and don'ts. Thanks for the great show. Yuho from Finland. P.S. 
Kippis. That is cheers in Finnish. Mm-hmm. I hope I said that right. Drink. <laughs> I only have coffee and it's gone. PPS, if this topic has already been addressed in your show in the past, could you please point me towards it so that I could listen to it? And uh, I'm rather new listener. I am a rather new listener and haven't listened to all the past episodes. Well, then you've got a huge archive to deal yeah, with. Yeah, you do. So. Yeah. We've been doing this a while. Or you could just start listening from now and just keep listening, yeah. and you'll hear all that same stuff. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> we tend to repeat ourselves a bit. So, the players narrating what happens, uh, narrating their own outcomes. What do you think? Lots of games, that's the default. Mm-hmm. A lot of games. Um, I, I, I find it tends to take the pressure off the GM to come up with things, especially if you get a weird die roll. Like if uh, making a... Well, it, I mean, it depends. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously... In, in combat, yeah, I completely agree. But like, um, it depends how much narrative control as GM you want to give up. Obviously, you need to give up all of the narrative control for what the characters do. Um, and if you have like a dramatic success, um, you may need may depending on the group, you may need to kind of temper their their narration. Like if they say, "Okay, I'm going to attack this guy," and I got a dramatic success, I cu- I cut his head off. Right. It's like, uh, well, maybe, maybe if it's a, a mook, or you know, this is the dramatic conclusion, and you've been, and the fight has been sufficiently dramatic, and this is a great way to end it. Sure. Or you know, if this is, um, well, I don't know. Maybe even let them do that, even if it's like, the I, I'm no mere, I'm no mere I'm no mere hedgemage story. Have you heard that story? I have not. Uh, we were playing D and D fifth edition. Uh, I had decided that the party had leveled up to, I think, third level at this point, and they were ready to fight with a mage with a fireball. And they're all playing orcs, by the way. This is well, not up. Uh, it was half and half. It was oh. half humans, half orcs. But the orcs were the you know badass. Half humans, half orcs, or half humans. Half, half the party orcs. was humans. <laughs> half the party was. You knew what he knew. You were just being pedantic. Yes, I was. But uh, um, the, I wanted them to fight a a, a mage with had fireball. So it was, I figured they were ready for that, and it. And I'm not a good tactician, so I kind of need to over, have overpowered bad guys if I'm to even make fights seem like they're not cakewalks. So I'm ready with this guy, and he's got they're in a, like a narrow pass, and he's got a bunch of guys kind of guarding the opening to the pass, and he's sort of back here, and we roll initiative, and I rolled it like a two, joy for the for my for the mage. So everyone in the party got to go before him, and they were able to get up to him and have him killed before he was ever able to even cast a spell. It happens. And and I had built that up by by the party showing up and and he, this guy saying, "Don't you know who I am?" Yep. And then he he ended it when the fight began with he, "You are facing no mere hedge mage or whatever something like that." And then boom. <laughs> so it was like. <laughs> But you know what? It's one of those stories that the players that were in that game always talk about. Right. It it it, it, it ended up being th- that badass moment for the player characters. It's like the Indiana Jones thing with the guy with the swords. Yeah. It's the same same kind of thing. It's it's a memorable moment. So I, I, if you can have those memorable moments, and it's the players who are giving you that information, or the players who are making that determination. I think generally I would say to go ahead and do it. I tend to do a narrative a narrative thing on failures mm-hmm. a lot. Uh, I When somebody fumbles or somebody has a critical fumble, I, I've talked about this before, I say, ooh, that's great. How did you fail? You tell me what you did wrong. And it does a couple of things. It takes the, the pressure off you from screwing over the character, 
and allows the character to get ownership. And oftentimes, they make much worse decisions than you ever would have made. Oh, yeah. They screw themselves a lot. We were like, oh, that's harsh, man. I never would have done that to you. All right, okay. I come up with that. Yeah, we might have just said you're, you know, you're gun jammed or something like right. that. But they're like, oh, well, I just shot the three toes off my right foot. And you're like, awesome. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm okay with that. I, I, and, I'm, and I'm out for six rounds. <laughs> so, uh, but on the uh, conversely, I actually like a bit of structure. I kind of like. I mean, the reason that hedge mage thing came out so great is that it was a dice rolls. It went, it, it went down to the randomizer, and and they won. And that just makes that victory so much sweeter. You're like, it, it could have easily gone the other way, but that randomizer mm-hmm. came up in their favor. Uh, and I kind of want kind of a structure. I kind of want to see what the GM has in mind. Obviously, you're telling us you have something in mind. If I'm coming in and constantly rewriting your story, I'm never going to get to what you oh, sure. have yeah. in mind. Yeah, I, there needs to be limits, I think, within what that narration is, depending on the game. I mean, some games that are where, where GM prep is a collaborative effort Yeah. Um, that that doesn't apply, but I think in most most games, I think it's the GM has to have some kind of rein on that because you you've got plans and you've got ideas, and right? And things that the players are trying to get to. And it'll be fun. The, what if the characters run in and they, you know, they score some critical hit on a on a villain, and you're you're like, well, tell me what happens, and they say, well, the the, the, the you said earlier there were these tanks in the room. Well, they all explode. <laughs> okay, actually, those tanks. They needed to find out that there was something in those tanks. So we right. can't have those explode. <laughs> and now you're going to have to come up with some other way of saying, well, okay, the tanks all explode. And then in the back room, there's this other tank. And it just becomes a little cheesy. So you just got to be careful there. Yeah. Um, along those lines, and I'm just going to pimp Flash Gordon a little bit, uh-huh. because it's a perfect opportunity, we, we are introducing this uh, new rule called the cliffhanger. And that actually allows the players... To if they get stuck in a really, really dangerous, potentially dangerous or tricky situation, they can flip this token over, and it gives either the players a little control in how they want to resolve it, or the GM can help them along. And there's also we also have a little card mechanic. But um, one way the, g- the game master can run it is to say you flip the token, and you guys can dictate exactly how you get out of the situation. Oh, okay. Um, oh, well, and, and so that's kind of a fun way because, of course, it really plays up the, the old classic serial idea mm-hmm. that you know the car went over the cliff. There's no way those heroes could have survived when we saw that film end. Tune in next Tune week. Tune in next right. week when that's exactly what we're trying to emulate with the with the cliffhanger. So I think in that case it works extremely well. So d- does the d- does the token get flipped back? No, we're just at, at this point. If, if I remember correctly, we're doing it as a one-time use thing. But oh, you okay. also, the, there's a way it'll recharge bennies and things like that when you do it. Oh. So it's a real big event when right. it's time per session. What's that? One time per session, and then it right. gets reset yeah. when you yeah, come back exactly. in the next day. So. That's cool. Yeah, I like that idea. And cliffhangers are awesome. Oh yeah, just in general. That's that's how you end your games these days. It's been it's been really wonderful because he's like, ah, I think it's a good place to end. We're like, what? <laughs> no. What? Oh, oh, I ended a campaign that way. There was the uh, when I ran the Vast Dominions game. Yeah. Uh, the party had discovered um, they in, like in the previous session they had discovered that there were giant uh, difference engines basically because you know, that era it's like a mechanical computer. Right. But the, there were a couple of them that had achieved consciousness, and uh, they found in the last session they found like wax cylinders, cylinders for like the like a Victrola or right. whatever that had been imprinted with the um, 
predictions of one of these one of these mechanical AIs, and they found that, and I play, I had a recording of it, and I played it for them, and I said, okay, okay, we're done, that's it, end of the campaign, and they were <laughs> furious. <laughs> And I remember poor Jib is like, no, there, there's like three things I want to do before. I'm like, no, 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 no. We'll play this game. We'll do this cam- campaign again. When we do, then we'll we'll pick it up. Then you can, we you can have your to-do list. Well, and, and I think even in um, in a smaller capacity, the in Savage Worlds, that's one of the reasons that, we, that there are bennies. Um, is it at least gives something a tool in the player's hands where they can kind of adjust the storyline a little bit, oh, yeah. adjust events a little bit, whether it's even re-rolling a terrible roll. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's that also puts a little bit of narrative control into the player's hands, which I think works extremely well. Yeah, it does. It does. All right. Uh, is that any anything else? Any, any more on this? Um, I don't know. I'm no. <laughs> Other than a fact that I I kind of. Was looking back into RuneQuest uh, maybe a year or so ago. Mm-hmm. Remember, they lost their license and they had to, so they stripped everything out. Is that, and they was it like, Mongoose that published that? Who was that? Uh, I think it was. It Mongoose. might have been. It might have been. Um, it was, yeah, yeah, they did have RuneQuest two. It's such like a that. mess with the Stormbringer and RuneQuest and all that, and trying to figure out which one is the right one to have and all that. But I, I still, I kind of fond memories of that system from back in the day. I kind of like the way their magic works and. But I don't know. I've I remember the magic systems for the different it. kinds of mages being very. U- each system was unique. Mm-hmm. It was like its own thing. I do. When I was that. a kid, and we were all playing D and D, and I mean, I'm talking like first edition D and D. Right. There was a guy who ran a game store in my hometown, uh, and he was the biggest RuneQuest evangelist that I had ever exp- ever encountered. He actually used to tell us in, while we were in the store shopping for D and D stuff. That RuneQuest was better, and we really needed to be focusing on RuneQuest. <laughs> to date, I have never played RuneQuest. <laughs> I read through RuneQuest too because I, I got that from the drive-through thing. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, it was a, it, crunchy. Yeah, yeah, it's a crunchy yeah. game. It is. Yeah, it is. No, gaming horror story. I didn't put who it was from. No. Oh, you did it here on the very front. Oh, Drail eighty-eight. Greetings. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah? No, go ahead. Greetings and hello, you magnificent bastards. Um, Adrail88 from Texas here with a recent horror story in honor of the recent Halloween season. Many, many years ago, I wrote to Happy Jacks about a game I was in with my childhood friends. It was a D&D 4E, and the DM was my best friend. The players were his brother, his cousin, and myself. We were all part of a crew called the Monster Movers and specialized in paid mercenary work, a.k.a. murder hobo with a permit. (laughs) Life went on. We all grew up, and over time, that group drifted apart. People moved, got married, had kids, and even though we all talked to one another still, we were never able to meet again and roll dice. Well, the stars aligned one fateful weekend. Months of planning, calling in days off, finding a quiet gaming space and coordinating all came together to bring the crew back together. We were all playing characters who had previously been part of the monster movies and we were monster movers and we were arriving to listen to the reading of the will of the guild leader. I won't bore you with the details of the story, mostly because it would involve reading all the notes that the DM had written at the encounter, all 55 pages of notes. You're shitting me. And here we have the horror. <laughs> My friend just so happens to be an author of three books, and this shows in his DM style. The entire game was him reading pages of notes 
telling us exactly what happened and when, the only difference being how badly we were hurt and how close we were to death. Try to start up a conversation with an NPC he hasn't sat it out. He hand waves conversation. Attempt to go through a door that doesn't have information behind. Door won't open. And is impervious to all forms of attack to break it down. The biggest groan-worthy moment was when the group failed a perception, a perception check to notice an oncoming ambush. But since he had planned on at least one person making the check, we all found ways out anyways. Our characters weren't just on the rails of the train. We were sitting in Disneyland ride where you are a passenger to the narrative and your arms and legs are securely inside the ride at all times. And they're singing, It's a Small World After All, I think. <laughs> the session ended with the group winning against a half-spider goddess in the underdark. The group survived the trip back and, the, and the, a big The End as part of the narration. The End! The End! Yeah. I suppose the good side to all of this is my and other players all expressed our lack of agency and he himself admitted that it was the writer in him and he didn't want the story to go off the rails. We all have fun. It was the gang back together after six years, but I suggested maybe we could run the next game or maybe I could run the next game and the group agreed to give it a shot. So I guess this is a cautionary tale. Be careful letting authors DM for your games. It can be amazing or it can be very, very bad. Thank you. From Texas, Trail 88 on the forums. Uh, that's kind of the... That's kinda, oh, is there a PS? PS? Never. No, not a problem. <laughs> um, this is kind of the opposite of, of letting the players do right. all, all, the, all, yeah. the, all the narration. So this was really a dramatic reading. Yes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's a role-playing game. With a, with a captive audience. Right. Yes. Uh, now, he, uh, this begs the question, though, was he doing this before? You just didn't notice? And and now he came back around, and you're like, wow, this guy, this guy's isn't, has it always been like this? Has he always been this talky? I see, like, we have more fun. Maybe, maybe, you know, time gives you perspective and you forget. I seem to remember having a lot of fun, you know, in my Champions games, and then, you know, going back and thinking about it a lot. I'm like, you know what, there were some arguments, there were some... There were some bad times too. I forgot about all that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we got we get rose colored colored glasses. Yeah. Look back far enough. Yeah. I mean, I played in a Cthulhu game once a long time ago. I'm not going to say who GM'd it, but it was very much like this, really? and it was a published adventure, if I recall correctly, and it was just a lot of reading, and very little happened. I think one of us got turned inside out. Do you remember which 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 one it was? I really, I think there were Biaki involved. <laughs> I don't know. The original. Well, that, it, I mean, the I, I have the book for Mass of Nyarlathotep. It's vast. Yeah. You could play that campaign for a year, year and a half, easy. And, but it, it, I don't remember there being a lot of reading for the players. A lot of props in the back that you cut out, <laughs> yeah. and tape together, and stuff. But that's new. That's new stuff. Old school stuff. I mean, the, remember the the TSR modules. Which yeah, just but were, blocks and blocks I mean, of text. Yeah, but yeah, but blocks and blocks of text over si- many scenes. But people like I mean, a little I, paragraph. At, at the last at the last con, there was a guy reading from the module. That was the way he GM. That's why he, and he and he went there and he, and he had his the, had the module up there and goes okay uh, and he started oh. to read th- stuff and I'm like oh now, my god it still happens. Was it was it organized play? I don't know. I just was. They were like on the table <laughs> next to us and I was like. Oh no! That I've ex- I've experienced that in organized play. Yeah, far too often. Oh yeah, 
But I, a lot of it is because they don't, not, they haven't necessarily had a lot of times to pr- uh, time to prep. Right. So they're basically learning as they go along too. Well, and they're trying to be fair. They have to right. give the There's, same adventure yeah, to everybody. Some certain constraints. Yeah, right. Yeah. But I, uh, Fifty-five pages. Okay, yeah. yeah. No. No. Yeah. I, a, a paragraph. Yes. Like I, even like when I when I think back to the very first role playing game I played, it was in this dude's basement, and it was D and D, and it was the basic set, the that red box, I think. Uh, and it was the sample adventure in the back of the book. It wasn't even a complete dungeon. It went on for like a, like a level and a half, and then stopped. And we were in block text for every description. Yeah. We were enthralled. Yeah. Right. Well, that's true. If it was a first time thing. The first, uh, yeah. After after a certain amount of time, people get less. In search of the unknown, for me, man. Right. And I remember. I still remember it. And I was like eleven. Mm-hmm. Two Ravenloft was good. It mm-hmm. turned into a whole thing. But I, I think also we didn't know any better back then. Yeah. That was the way things were were GM'd. That's yeah. the way Gary Gygax had had constructed all of the adventures. I mean, the dungeon delve. Remember, you'd go through and you'd map out what was behind every freaking door yep. oh, of yeah. your dungeon. Craft Absolutely. paper pencil. We'd go that's, along with it slowly. Yep. That's what it was. And it, things have changed a lot. You know, oh, nowadays sure. we're like, I'm just, uh, I don't even have a map. I'm just there's a couple of doors on the corridor, and you know, it and it smells musty, and you hear <laughs> scratching. Uh, but the point is, I I think we've changed. The game certainly the games have changed, but also our, our gaming style and what we want out of the game has changed. Well, if you think about it, we grew up with choose your own adventure books. Yeah, yeah. Oh, which yeah. were this, which yeah. exactly what is being described here, and text adventures. Mm-hmm. So if you were playing Zork or something yeah. like that on your computer, you were reading a lot of oh, description. Absolutely. absolutely. Um, so it's not so alien and it's so out- outrageous, but it's just times have changed. Not fifty, but not <laughs> no, pages of material. <laughs> that's that's crazy. Um, a couple things that have been mentioned on the uh, chat. Uh, about Clo- to be eaten by Clo- Clo- Gru. Cloak seventy two yes. said, "Tell Scott that I'm blaming him if I can't afford my meds this month." There you go. Have you checked? Have you checked Tone. your? Don't shirk your meds. Uh, we have gone up a little bit. It depends so, what you got. Yeah, you might be able to shirk your meds for a month. Just a month. <laughs> One hundred seventy-five bucks. You get the box set, and it is really sexy. I'm just gonna say. What's that. in the box set? Everything. <laughs> Everything you it's mentioned. It's a big, in chunky box with art all over it, and it's solid, and it's just great. And, and, and all the books and everything come in there. I, I saw when I was at Gen Con. I saw all of the uh, stuff for the Savage Worlds Rifts. Kickstarter because they had all that stuff yeah. there. I'm like, and I'm like looking at, I'm like, I should have done the Kickstarter. I would spend half as much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, here's another selling point for you. Uh, Slipstream is is no more. It's dead end, right? right. So if you really want to play pulp sci-fi, this is going to be the next. This is the gateway now because yeah. although you can still find copies of Slipstream, they're rarer and rarer, and it's only one book. This yeah. is everything. And, and, and Slipstream was, you know, effectively it was Flash Gordon with the serial numbers yeah, just drowned off. Yeah, right. Um, and now we, you know, it's a, this one is official, so it is Flash Gordon, one hundred percent licensed. There's uh, there been some people on the uh, forums that were, were, were trying to find a more pulpy sci-fi kind of thing, and they were like, "Well, this is coming out soon." Yeah. So, yep, you might as well, as you say, might as well invest in it now because uh, it's only going to be more expensive when you have to buy it in separate pieces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Think twice about those meds. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Aether, a- Ethereal Flux asks, quick question for the panel. My local gaming store put all the GURPS 4th edition stuff yeah. Yeah. up for 50% off for Black Friday. 
Yeah. Should I take advantage of it if I don't have any GURP stuff, wondering why they're liquidating it? They might be liquidating it because you may have a... Um, Steve Jackson, there are a number of companies that go out of their way to support gaming stores. Because for a lot of us, that's how we got into it. Mm-hmm. For many people, that's how they find the hobby, is walk into a gaming store, buy a book. We hope they do. I'm right. a huge supporter of right. local game stores. And m- m- the only thing I can wonder why he, someone would liquidate... They're not abandoning 4th edition. Right. I've, not, no. I've not heard anything still like very that functional. at all. Um, my, the only thing I might wonder is if that's kind of a maybe a knee-jerk reaction by the owner because now all their stuff is available on Drive RPG, and that just happened within the last month. That's true. Yeah. What's the new? See, I haven't inv- I haven't bought it yet, but what's that new box set that they've done? Dungeon Fantasy. Dungeon Fantasy. It, maybe is, that's another thing. It's then. it's GURPS. Right. But it's all the extra stuff is gone. It's just about running a D and D like game. Right. And it really encourages sort of dungeon crawlish kind of stuff, it, right? That's yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And we might see more of that. They might we might see some more of them putting out these boxes where they they instead of the sci-fi box. Yes. Or the, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that, yeah, that's right. very possible. Maybe that's a, a direction they're going to go in. I mean, they maybe have the game store owners heard something at Gamma or something. Well, that could be. That, when was Gamma? I think it's a wise investment, uh, personally. Now, Yo, absolutely, fifty off. What should they buy if oh, if you don't have five hundred bucks? <laughs> Because there's a lot of GURPS books. Obviously yeah. the basic set, book one and two, characters and combat and adventuring right. or whatever they're called. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, if you're going to run anything modern age, I would get high tech, which has all modern equipment from probably like the 20s or 30s on. Uh, I would buy low tech, which has all of your old ancient weapons, including old firearms and stuff like that. I believe there's ultra tech, which is this all the science fiction equipment. So there, there you've got stat equipment statted out for basically anything you'll ever want right. in those three books. Not a lot of fluff. There's not a lot of setting stuff in those books. It's all just stats for the stuff. So that's five books. books. Do they have monster books, too, and things that uh, they invest in? Or? They, I don't think they have had a bestiary since second or third edition. Oh, okay. Isn't I don't think there's ever th- I, I there's think been there's, one for There's some monsters in the back of, I think, the main rule book, isn't there? Am I, am I picturing another game? Not that I know of. Okay. I don't recall there being a bestiary, not in the current iteration of the rules. Although you could find it, I actually own like a third, second or third edition bestiary because it's a handy book to have. It's like I need a lion. I don't want to use the character creation rules to make a lion right, right now <laughs> in front of everybody. But um, well, that's a great deal either way. It is. I mean, it even is. if you just want to pick up a few of them and. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Gerp's horror is a fantastic book. Kenneth Height. So now we're up to six. Is one of the <laughs> <laughs> well, these I, are suggestions. I can go he might not. He might on. not have all these. Right. Uh, well, the, the, you want more spells? I don't yeah. Know, I don't even know what it's called now. Grips magic or Canum or something or Grips. I think it's Grips magic, and then I think they include alternate magic systems in that too. I, I haven't cracked a Grips book in a while. It's it's a great system, and fourth edition isn't going anywhere. And if it's a I really good so. deal, you I might as well so. get them. I I personally like having hard copy books. It drives me crazy going back and forth in a PDF. Working on uh, it's still working on our game. 
I'm going back L5R. It's driving yeah. me crazy. I'm hating it. That's going to get worse, too, because they're not integrating no. all the changes from the beta into the I noticed book. that. I downloaded a bunch, and I'm like, now I've got separate PDFs i got to like, open and go back and forth. Almost all of your complaints about Strife, they've addressed. I noticed. Yeah. I noticed. But you won't see that in the, in the nope. main PDF. Yet. So you got to... Yeah. And it's much easier to find something in a papery book where you can just... It's over here somewhere. Right. And you can open the book and hand it to the player who's looking for something with your thumb on the page. Yes. I mean, there's a lot of benefits, I think, to having a hard copy. Yeah. So even though they're available digitally, go buy the books. You know, give yourself, treat yourself. It's a Christmas present, and I, I think it's a great system. I truly do. Students proselytized to over it. Proselytized. Proselytized. Prostatalized. Prostatalized. Over it for years, and the mook, <laughs> the mook runs a wicked, a wicked game of GURPS, and a lot of it is on the GM, but it's not that hard. It's really an intuitive system. Everything makes sense. When you fall, you fall hard, and things hurt. And things have range, and it's it's just it's it really mimics real life. So it's there's it's simple because anything that happens in the real world is addressed in GURPS. Yeah, and and, and even even if you aren't playing GURPS, the GURPS horror book is a fantastic uh, re- reference material for you. Oh. It talks about all the different sorts of archetypes of monsters and how to present that kind of game. There's a, even the, the, like there's a there's a GURPS mysteries book. That I think is written by someone who's either like a detective or worked with mm. detectives or something. So it's all about like the procedure of of, of uh, trying to unravel a crime sure. and stuff like that. It includes they just there's a lot of good jamming advices for different genres in almost every one of their genre books. I have also stolen many an idea from other gaming books. I mean, oh, I yeah. came up with a whole adventure just from reading Changing the Lost. I didn't run it. In, I ran it in right. Seven Worlds, but I mean, all of this stuff was there. And I'm like. This is awesome. This well, I mean, is cool. when I was writing Flash Gordon, for for example, I always had stacks and stacks of books surrounding me. Mm-hmm. They weren't all Savage Worlds books. Right. Oh, yeah. I was pulling stuff and ideas and, and getting inspiration from a variety of sources and games. So you can pull something from anything. I think. I think all good GMs do that, though. Yeah. I think it's a. It keeps your your brain fresh. It keeps. Yeah, I think it's important. I think you can learn a lot from reading other game systems. I'm not. A, I'm not. I don't have a lot of experience with GURPS, but how compatible are the previous editions of GURPS? Very. Oh, really? So, um, so if you were to get these books, like if you were to get the fourth edition ones, then you basically are unlocking this insane vault of previous books. Oh yeah, which is almost infinite. And oh, adventures. Absolutely. Yeah, there's so much I mean, material out there. There, there, there there's a, a few things that changed. I mean, from first to third, you could use it verbatim. Oh wow! Um, fourth edition, there used to be uh, two two aspects to armor. There was passive defense and active defense. Passive defense reflected blows glancing off. Right. Active def- active defense. Yeah, active was. Uh, no, it wasn't called. It wasn't called active. I don't remember what it was called. Anyway, that's like the the uh, damage absorption. Right. They got rid of passive. Oh, okay. Um, but you could literally, like, if you're looking up monsters and looking up dragons or something in the old bestiary, you could just ignore the fact that there's a, a passive defense. And quick correction, I have played GURPS. Oh, you have? GURPS, Bunnies, and Burrows. Oh, did you really? I did, Excellent. years and years and years ago. And Toon is uh, part of that as well. Well, it's stripped down version. Very yeah, much Very so. stripped yeah. down version. There is also GURPS Lite out there as well, which yeah, is a great true. gateway in. And it's it's very, I mean, it's very yeah. functional. You can play right out the, right out of the box with mm-hmm. GURPS Lite. 
really, as you say about GURPS, you can make it as granular as you want or not. Okay. And when you're when you're starting a game, you usually keep it pretty broad. You don't use all of that because there is a rule for everything for range and you know falling and everything. But you don't have to use all of them, and they even say that. So don't don't freak out by how many charts there are in that book. It's it's all optional, right? Right. And, so and go and, by your, go by those books. Yeah. <laughs> I can I can't obviously I, I honestly can't think of a book that we, you wouldn't get some value out of. Yeah, really. I That's mean, awesome. Even like pa- the GURPS Powers has all the, the like. I mean, you could they the, the just the first two books include a lot of stuff in fourth edition that weren't in previous editions, <coughs> including being able to make super powered characters. But like the, the the GURPS Powers book gives you just you know way more options. And uh, when Steve Jackson was on a few years ago, and his, his friends were on, they were saying, I, "I think you asked them what what genre is best for GURPS," and they said like post apocalyptic Fallout kind of stuff. Uh, anything like Commandy, uh, which is a comic book reference. Uh, 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 anything that has to because because the wonderful thing about the post apocalyptic is that it has everything from improvised weapons and clubs to lasers to oh, yeah. bombs to, and it really shows off GURPS and you and. Freaking magic can even happen too if you want to do a Thundar the Barbarian. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, GURPS is the perfect system. So if you want to run a post-apocalyptic Fallout Thundar the Barbarian, go and look that up, kids. And, and you'll have all the stats. <laughs> it's from all us. there. I mean, you, you can the the the, the level of minutia you can go into in GURPS sometimes yeah. gets taunting. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. But don't I mean, let that freak you out. You look at uh, GURPS High Tech, and it's like 18th century firearms. Table, 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 <laughs> table. Yep. and it's like, oh no, there's not. You know, they'll have like, okay, okay, yeah. There's there's an assault rifle. There's not just an assault rifle. No, there's, there's an AR-15. They, they went through and labeled it. Was, the, and, oh, yeah. and then there's then there's also uh, the the M4 that the Marines use. That has a different caliber, so sure. the amount of damage is slightly different. And there's the Russians, the Germans, the Marines. Yeah, uh, I think when they were on, they they mentioned that they uh, they actually would get together and they would like. Each other on the back and say, "All right, so if you were doing this, how much would that hurt?" And they were sort of making notes and doing some I research. S- I seem to recall reading at one point that that um, that Steve Jackson dabbled in buffer larps. Uh, yeah. So, or was involved in SCA or something like that. So, yeah, they and they did. I, I remember reading in the old Pyramid or what or whatever the newsletter was before that that they they would reality check certain things mm-hmm. in combat. And, yeah. Just an excuse to go out to the firing and range. hit each other. <laughs> Right, and I don't think I don't think there was anything else. Uh, we have a friend of the, of the long story short. He was down at Weta, and they were asking questions about like, so if this person was holding a sword, how would it? And so, well, I don't know. Let's go find out. So they went down to like their armorer, and he pulled a two-ended sword off the wall and and uh, took a stance to see how the weight of the blade does this, so it forces you to hold it this way. And so the artists are taking notes and all that. So that's kind of what they did with GURPS, I think, is they went through and they figured out well, if this rifle does this, you can't be using your hands and. It again, it can get as granular as you want, but they've done. It's now in what fourth edition. They've done a lot. There's a lot oh, yeah. of years of research Absolutely. involved there. All right. Anything yeah. else? Anyone else? Anything else you want to plug? I'm all good. Uh, no, Steve Jackson never said where he got his ideas from. No, that's <laughs> that is true. He's currently grumpy. Yeah. <laughs> well, we interviewed shocked. him a long time ago, shocked. many many years. ago it was funny. He's it was a funny as hell. He's yes, a, he's, he's a curmudgeon. He's a funny curmudgeon. He's doing something right. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I saw a copy of Ogre in a in the game store. I think they wanted five hundred dollars for it. Wow, 
Wow. No, the the, the, the original one no, or the, the oh the big giant the box yeah. that yeah it's it's half the size of this 80 table. Eighty pound box or something. Was That's what your Flash Gordon's going to look like when you guys are all yeah, done right. with your, uh, It's going to be an eighty pound box. <laughs> All the stretch goals. Oh yeah. So, how, do, do, you have, do you guys have some kind of calculus to figure out if you hit this level, you're going to add this to people's stuff? How to f- make sure that you're not don't inadvertently lose money? <laughs> don't look at me. <laughs> all of, all I, the money stuff is is handled. At, I'm know, really curious about that because because it's, it's it's like, I mean, even when you're talking about digital distribution, there's still a cost. Yeah. It's not much. But so, well, I mean, to be fair, Pinnacle has done like fifteen Kickstarters yeah, or something right, like yeah. number. So they've they've got a formula. Obviously, they they, they are able to work out um, shipping and factor all that kind of stuff in. Um, I don't know how it works, but yeah, there must be some so method behind that. There's an algorithm somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So Zola's algorithm for uh, shipping and <laughs> handling. Well, and, uh, yeah, I'm sure everything that is a stretch goal and all of our add-ons has a dollar value, and mm-hmm. uh, and they've probably calculated that way, way out, right. so that they know they can't get too far in. Yeah, we've all heard the horror stories, you know. Yeah. Because if you're doing it yourself, it's that people forget that shipping overseas costs. It's expensive. A truckload, and if you don't factor that in. From day one, we did a, a one-page adventure contest. Uh, it's called Two Sides One Epic. And it's like you basically two eight and a half mm-hmm. adventure contained just on that. Yeah. People sent them to us. We took an afternoon and read through them and judged them and came up with like first through tenth place or something. And I had prizes to send to people, including a cert- certificates. And most of them were in the United States. And it was, I mean, even if I was sending them like a game book or something, it was like four or five dollars shipping. Right. Then you get to like Israel and England and Japan. I think one went to Serbia. Yeah, and it 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 got alarmingly expensive. We also we also sent some game stuff over to the troops during the Iraq War a while ago, and that was also yeah. quite a uh, quite a bundle out of pocket. Well, that was but that was because it was going to a FPO or yeah. Whatever, or APO, right, right. whatever it is, it was still just normal U.S. shipping costs. It's like it's going to a, a yeah. To it was, a, we were a sending domestic, a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was heavy. It was books and they also have. I think they do have now uh, some kind of a shipping incentive for this kind of stuff, if I recall correctly. So if you go on the Kickstarter page and scroll down to the bottom, you suddenly see all these sort of international icons. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I, I really have not researched this, but it seems like that there's something in place right now for overseas distribution for oh, Kickstarter good. supporters. That's good. So, uh, I don't know how it works, though. That's something I would. I would love to find out. I'll look into that. Right. It's. So what's your total? How do we do? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, I think we are just shy. We're still just shy of fifty. Four thousand. So, if somebody could just pledge seventy dollars, <laughs> we could get to fifty-four. What's the next stretch? Oh, called? correction! 55? It just updated. Oh, fifty-four thousand one hundred twenty-seven. There you go. So cool. So. Yeah. so, if we get to fifty-five, we have another stretch goal that'll get unlocked. Do you know what it is offhand? Uh, I would have to scroll and look. That's all right. But, but I'll, well, I'll do that. Or is it secret? You. No, no, it's posted. Oh. I think we've got up to sixty listed already. So, uh, you, what's the, what's the, do you know what the largest Kickstarter? Pinnacle's hat is Pin- uh, yeah riffs yeah oh, it was it was riffs. yeah that was three or four hundred thousand was it, it really? did extremely well but again again that is a very long lasting RPG that has been around for decades and riffs fans are a ton hard of, yes there's a zeitgeist attached to it, yeah <laughs> yes. there totally is a zeitgeist oh yeah I'm gonna play riffs again <laughs> so yeah at uh, fifty five we have a minis add on mm-hmm. that'll be coming up next and that introduces a few more miniatures. 
and then uh, we've got up to 65 listed right now and at 65 for example we're going to do our cliffhanger cards that'll be printed cards so what will happen now is that we'll actually have available a selection of cards to make it easier on the GM mm -hmm. and they can actually if somebody calls the cliffhanger they deal out uh, a card and that will show you at least a, a sort of a skeleton of what the players can work with to come up with a way to get out. Oh, and that's it'll also cool. okay. show in the corner what the benefits are mm -hmm. of doing that. Sounds like a really fun game. It should it's, be a lot. It's of really pulpy, and it's you know. It's, yeah, we're really pushing for that and that attitude. And and uh, as Stu said, with the, when he was running his big blue monkeys, uh, so when you're flying through space in your ship, uh, down. Is, is when you down. fall out of the ship is down, <laughs> right? Right, and up is up, and so yeah, we had scientists in the group, and they just can't wrap their brain around the fact that space isn't behave that way. There's gravity in space. Oh yeah, I remember right. Bruce, when you fall off the ship, you fall. Bruce, who is uh, like a, a, a rocket scientist, is like, well, what happens when we go into orbit? Ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your, ship, your ship comes down and lands. You know, that's right. Yeah, it's very simple. Up is up, and down is down. What like, about at the bottom of the planet? He's like, are yeah. the planets flat? No, no. the planets aren't flat. We're barbarians. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because, like, in, in regards to Flash Gordon, everything is set on Mongo. I mean, mm -hmm. we we made this sort of sort of it's really sort of an encapsulated universe, and it's all set on the planet. However, maybe down the line. There are two moons that are hinted at in the original stuff, in the original ma source material. Oh, really? There are two moons over Mongo mm -hmm. that I would love to explore. Shush. That sounds like a, a Denny's dish. Two moons <laughs> over Miami. <laughs> two moons over, over my Mongo. <laughs> we would have to, I guess that's the name of the source. Uh, yes. Two moons over, over my Mongo. Mongo. <laughs> um, and in the original comic strips, Flash actually goes back to Earth and introduces... Mongolian technology to Earth, and I would love to explore that too. And we do not really go into that too much in the right. current iteration. So, the huh. more success we have, we might actually start spreading out a little bit. That's fantastic. So, yeah. I'm very excited. Yeah. So, what's the level you have to be at to get everything? 175, I believe, is the box set, and that'll just—it's a packed box. It, it'll set. keep updating as you guys add stretch goals. Yeah, yeah. So okay, you'll get all sorts of really phenomenal goodies, and and there's also we so have if anything breaks you, it's going to be that one. one. Right, <laughs> 175 bucks. There are higher levels. We are—we do have a really high level. I think it's a, the $500 level, mm -hmm. and that has—we're um, giving away um, original Flash Gordon comic strip newspaper. Print, uh, like actually sheets. The Alex Raymond we, stuff? Yeah, wow. the, wow. the originals from, from I think, San, we got San Francisco, New York, wow. Chicago. Wow. We have a few of those we're giving away at that level. Mm -hmm. And if you go to Gen Con... Those are worth 500 bucks by themselves. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Exactly. Seriously. And if you go to Gen Con, I'm running a special Flash Gordon game. So you'll get, get to play in that game and it's going to be sort of a celebrity. It's game, Alex, so. Was that Alex oh, Raymond or Hal Foster? It's Alex Raymond. Alex Raymond, Raymond right? yeah. yeah. Hal so, Foster did Prince Valiant. So look at the higher levels and you'll see even some more exciting stuff in there. Wow. Uh, Master Vidar says that Savage World's Rifts hit 438,000. Yeah, 438,000. It was unbelievable. Wow. So you're, you're, you're looking to break that record. I would I would love to. <laughs> uh, I, well, of course, we're always thinking we want to break the seventh C record. How much? What, what is seventh? It was well over a million, if I remember. Oh, right. yeah. Was it a million so. three or something? Yeah. Like that? I can't even remember. What John Wick has in. finally made his millions yeah. after being mistreated for so long. If if he organized and did all of his number crunching correctly. <laughs> Yeah. He, may, he may find himself ten thousand dollars poorer by the time everything is <laughs> still still waiting on my floating vagabond. Yeah. Oh, I'm so uh oh. Yeah. Well. So anyway, John has been very kind to us. He actually gave us a little bump at the when we first promoted. Oh, the did? Was coming. Cool. So, so uh, 
Love you, John. Is he still local? Or is he? No, he's uh, Arizona. He's in Arizona. Yeah, he moved. Daniel, he still comes to the local cons here. Once yeah, yeah. Well, he comes to a lot of cons. We actually have mutual friends in common. But uh, yeah. I actually played a game with him. And he's, you know, he's his reputation is is exaggerated. He used to run a lot of the old school fantasy yeah. games at Strategicon. I remember that for a fact. Oh, that's, really? oh. that's what he was running when I was when I was there. Yeah. I wanted to meet him. I wanted to find out what all the hubbub was about, and he gave me a little taste. <laughs> it was. I'm up. just I'm just checking. I just want to see how much the Seventh Sea was. Oh, it's way off there. And of course, it swept the Ennies. So. One point three. Yeah, million. I was right. Yeah. One point three million. Wow. That's crazy. All right. I mean, it, there's not enough stretch goals to cover that. What do you do? They were going to make a movie. That's of, no, I kid you not. That's one of the, the stretch goals was they were going to actually make a, a feature film. I think it's wow. a terrible idea. It for, is. Personally. I have not seen one really successful game movie. They always seem like they're sort of shot on shittio and, and... Oh, but the a Dungeons & Dragons movie was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Snails! <laughs> 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 I, you know, I think I told you last time because you know I wrote that book, Cinema and Sorcery, and I had to watch a lot of these movies. And uh, I revisited Dungeons and Dragons, and, and I have a little bit more appreciation for it than I used to. Oh, really? I do. You'd have to read the chapter. Okay. You have I a will. copy. I have, I have a copy. Read my chapter on Dungeons on the Dungeons and Dragons movie. I'm not saying it's great. But but compared to the rest of the dreck you had to sit through, it was the least offensive. <laughs> yeah, probably. Crawl well, does not learn, hold up, does it? Crawl does not. Hold up. <laughs> when you read the backstory about that film, you kind of you get a little bit more appreciation for they what they were able to do. Direct to video sequels or two and three? Yeah, they did. Yeah, okay, I thought they did. Uh, I can't remember what two was called. Three was Book of Vile Darkness. Okay, and it coincided with the release of the Book of Vile Darkness for forty. What's the one with Christopher Lambert in it? Highlander? <laughs> yeah, he's in it. He's in one of those D&D reboots, I think. Sure of it. Really? Oh, maybe. I don't, yeah. know if, I don't know if... I don't remember him being in there, but... Anyway. You know, I, I, a movie I have not seen since I saw it in the theater that I watched last night? I give up. Well, on Netflix, there is a... Um, I guess it's kind of a documentary called Jim and Andy. You heard about this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Jim Carrey's going back and re- oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. revisiting his because he had people shooting because he. Threw I, I want to hear your opinion on this when, okay. I, when I finish telling this. He basically became Andy Kaufman or um, the, Tony uh, Clifton. The Co- Tony Clifton. Yeah. Fall Tony Clifton. Right. But uh, he basically became that character twenty four hours a day when he was on set. Right. right? Uh, and he had a film crew with him yeah. for the whole thing. And the studio, Warner Brothers? I don't remember who it was. The studio said, you will not release any of this footage because we don't want people to think you're an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and and they, they just now finally released it. But that movie was... 15 Man, years like ago, that, yeah. maybe something Man like that. Moon. Now the moon. So I, I started watching. It, I'm like, no, nah, it's been too. I, I, I only saw it in the theater. I never watched it after that because it's kind of a depressing film. Yeah, very much. But I liked I, it. I, you know, yeah. it's fantastic. So I, it's on Amazon, and I bought it for like nine dollars or something. And I watched it last night, and then today I was watching the the documentary about the, the making of it, and it's fantastic because like I, I, things I totally forgot about it. The entire cast of of Taxi. Oh, yeah. All came on as themselves with, on all the scenes when Tony Clifton showed up and got, you know, bodily removed from the set and all of the stuff that they did. And 
the only character that wasn't there was Danny DeVito because he was playing his uh, agent. Yeah. But it's a fantastic movie. And then I watched the the this documentary, and there's some scenes that they've cut into it. A lot of it is is Jim Carrey talking, interviewing, and talking about you know what happened. The process. Yeah. yeah. It, but um, they they interview some of the cast from Taxi about what was it like to work with them. So it was just like what you see in there. It's just like that. Yeah. <laughs> and I have to wonder, like Andy Kaufman and maybe even Jim Carrey. Are they just like wrench throwing douchebags? Is that how people look at them in Hollywood, or are they like, oh my god, he's just so committed to his character? I have not worked on a show with Jim Carrey, but word on the street is is he's a wrench throwing douchebag, and he's nuts. He spent he spent a lot. I mean, he's crazy to begin with. You can sort of see it; it leaks out on the screen. But apparently, in real life, he's just kind of wacky and and not real stable, and makes you know outrageous decisions. As far as I know about Andy Kaufman, I think he was psychotic. <laughs> I actually don't find him that funny. I've never really did. I mean, but 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 I, I get it. It's important to have somebody like that. But I just and his Lucky character was great. But then he then he just I mean his stand up was just hard to watch. Where he's doing oh, Mickey Mouse and I'm like uh, I have a feeling not that Steven, funny. I might disagree with you, but I, I, I appreciate what he does. But but I do think that he set about to just see if how far he could fuck yeah. with people. Yeah, 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 he did. And then you know, and then he he antagonized wrestlers, and then so the when they when they actually attacked him, then he was all done. You know, that, that was all an act, all planned. Yeah, that was I all know. planned because Jerry Lawler, who's yeah. the guy that he ended up fighting, who supposedly broke his yeah. neck, he's in the film. Yeah, yeah. and they, he's also in that documentary. And they were great friends. Yeah, yeah. 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 To the end, it's a. Uh, it's just it was very meta. Very. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a very yeah. good way to put it. It was but. meta before there was meta. And I think the Tony, the whole arc of Tony Clifton, is freaking fantastic. Yeah. The fact that everyone thinks it's him, and it is him sometimes. It was him to start with, and then it was. And sometimes agent. it's yeah. Bob's Muda. Yeah. yeah. And then, then they had that. They were. He was getting booked on these big shows, thinking, "Oh, we're getting Andy Kaufman." No. Sometimes it wasn't him. Yeah. Sometimes he was in another part of the country, just laughing and his was, ass off. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Tony Clifton's still out there. That's, that's the right. It's so yeah. weird. It's like, <laughs> he wheels could just show wheels. up. Wheels within wheels. I love that. Anyway. Anyway. That's it. All right. I'll call it. Thank you for coming in again. Yeah, yeah it was great. Anytime. Yeah. You have an open invitation. Anytime you want to come back, come back. I like being local. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and go look on the Kickstarter. Hope you guys. Let's blow past, man. I think I may have to invest in it. Uh, it's, I like I like me Savage Worlds. I like to sort of keep up on Savage Worlds. I think it's a great system, and I've already got enough money invested. I might as well just keep going. And right? you know what? It is a. It is, and I've I've said this about Palladium Books as well. It is a well supported system. Yeah. It's not like someone comes out with a game and then I don't think that's all you get. It's not going anywhere. No. And, and, and there's always new material coming yeah. out for it, and it's always good quality. And, and that's that's something that you know. I mean, the, the, there's there's so many independent people now who are making games, and they're just they're, they don't have the resources to be able to like fully support a game like that. No, that's so that's games, me. No, it was both of us. So, can someone tell the Happy Jacks host Slack? To stop sending out notification messages <laughs> when we're recording the show. <laughs> my phone's up. One of the other things about Savage Worlds, I'll just end it here, uh-huh. is that the community, the, the community that supports the game, is unmatched as far as oh, I'm yeah. concerned. Yeah. Um, it's just everybody that I've ever met and everybody I've ever gamed with or communicated with online. They're just a great, fun group of people. Mm-hmm. You don't really run into a lot of sort of number crunching, you know. 
Gronyard type characters in Savage Worlds, at least that I that I've experienced. Most of them are just we're just fun guys. We want right. to do like crazy games and well, if they want that, they go somewhere. They go to somewhere. Yeah, there, there's other systems yeah. for that kind of stuff. But I think the whole Fast Furious fun model uh, really attracts a, a really good type of person. And that's why I love it. I just, I just think that system is just a lot of fun. Yeah, you know? swinging in, swinging in off of chandeliers, and you can do anything <laughs> from a western to a science fiction to. I mean, I have a superhero-ish kind of thing going on with my uh, free show game, so awesome. it's really flexible and fun. It is. All right, I'm gonna end it. For season twenty, episode fifteen of Happy Picks Up Podcast, my name is Stu. How soon we forget? Uh, my name is uh, Oh Stork. And I'm Tony Clifton, <laughs> <laughs> very famous comedian. Uh, that's it. We'll see you next week on Friday, eight PM Pacific time. Happy Jacks Live. Uh, Sunday we're playing Dead Brain. Monday they're playing something else. I don't know. And then Wednesday, I think, is going to be um, Razor Ridge. People are very looking forward to That's it. That's right. Okay. Yes. Razor Ridge has been a, uh, it's been a perennial favor they had to postpone. Yep. We've had a lot of postponing holidays and stuff. Yeah. Thank you very much. We'll leave with a song. Can actually breathe fire. The, the conclusion is the second story. Arc, so Each one of these breathes. Are you going to Scarborough Fair? Parsley, sage, rosemary, and
The preceding program has been a presentation of the Angry Folk Media Empire.